0: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In July 1918, in one of the most brutal episodes of the Russian Revolutionary Era, Tsar Nicholas II and his family were murdered in cold blood by Bolshevik revolutionaries. Especially shocking was the fact that all five of the Tsar's young children were killed. Or were they? Might the killers have taken pity on these innocents and spared the life of at least one of them? Welcome to the third episode of Conspiracy from History Extra. I'm Rob Attar, and today we're going to be investigating the theory that Princess Anastasia survived the killings and embarked on a new life beyond Russia's borders. How did this theory come about? And how have recent scientific and archaeological research helped refute this claim? Joining me to discuss all this was Helen Rappaport, a historian and author who's written many books on Russian history, including Ekaterinburg, The Last Days of the Romanovs. Helen, we're talking today about the theory that the Grand Duchess Anastasia survived the family's execution in 1918. Could we please begin with a bit of background about Anastasia? What could you tell us about her life up until the 1917 revolutions?
2: Anastasia was the fourth daughter born to Nicholas and Alexandra in 1901, much, one should say, to the dismay of the Russian people who, of course, had been longing for a son and heir to the Romanov throne. But despite that, she was much loved in the family. All the sisters were loved and treated equally by their parents. And of the four girls, she was definitely the most extrovert, mischievous, attention-seeking of all the girls. She was a kind of whirlwind personality that whenever she entered a a room, people had to take notice of her. She was a terrific mimic, a natural-born actress and show-off. And she was quite naughty and, and almost quite rude, actually, behind the scenes. But she was a live wire, such a strong personality that you could never ignore her when you were in the same room with her. And when the family were put under house arrest after the revolution, in 1917, she celebrated, if that's the right word for it, but she marked her 16th birthday in captivity.
0: So following the the two revolutions of 1917, ultimately the Bolsheviks decided to murder the Tsar and his family. Why did they decide to do this?
2: This is a very complex issue, but In order to explain it simply, the reason why the Bolsheviks decided that the Romanovs couldn't be allowed to survive was part of a a wider policy to basically expunge the entire aristocracy, the old aristocracy, and the entire Romanov family, because they felt that the only way that the revolution could really be ultimately successful was if there was no surviving threat to it from any member of the imperial family. And when asked many years later, Trotsky said that it was Lenin who had declared that they could not have a living banner, i.e. they couldn't even allow any of the children to survive because all the time any member of the family was surviving, they could be a rallying point for a counter-revolution. So they were pretty ruthless about the fact that there was absolute necessity to kill them all.
0: Now, the murder of the the royal family was a a very brutal affair, and I, I don't think we need to go into the grisly details of it, but would you mind just telling us briefly what the method of killing was?
2: Well, in the run-up to the murder of the family in the last two weeks where they were under captivity, close house arrest in Ekaterinburg, the commandant of the house, Yakov Iorowski, discussed various possible ways of killing them with his cohorts. I mean, sort of balmy ideas about running into the room and throwing lots of hand grenades in there or stabbing them all or some such thing. But they all agreed that the only way really that they could efficiently kill the Romanovs, was to gather them into a small space and shoot them, and then take the bodies out into the Kaptyaki forest, about nine miles out of Yekaterinburg, and bury them there. So then they had to decide what weapons to use. Well, Yurovsky pulled together an assortment of Nagants, which were old army, imperial Russian army-issued guns. There were Colts and one or two other guns. But basically, he assembled an assortment of weapons that were distributed amongst the killers but none of them had really had any practice with using these guns so uh, they started from from a, a premise of not really knowing what they were doing
0: and do we know whether any of the killers of the remnor family had any doubts about doing it i mean they were killing young children in cold blood did any of them have any qualms about this
2: Yes, there was actually quite a fundamental split because some of the guards at the party of house who initially recruited to be in this sort of murder squad were Latvians. They're referred to in accounts as Letts. They were Latvians. And About three of them that we know of absolutely refused point blank to kill the girls because they said the girls had been perfectly sweet and nice and friendly. They chatted to them. They'd shared their photograph albums with them. They were normal, you know, friendly girls. Why on earth should they want to kill them? And so, uh, virtually at the last minute, the night before, at least three of the Latvians refused. To kill the girls. So the ones who did the killings were hardline Bolsheviks, many men from the local factories, the Cisert Works, and one or two other places in the area, under the command of Yakov of Yurovsky, who was a real hardline Chekhar man, you see, know, from the Chekhar, the secret police. And he organized these men and handed out the guns. But of course, as I've said, they had no prior training or practice or any real discussions about how they were going to do it. So what
0: sources are we relying on for our chronicle of these events and how reliable are they? Well, this is
2: the issue, and it's a great problem. And I, like many other people who've tried to write accounts of what happened that night, 16th, 17th of July, one encounters many conflicting accounts, contradictions, and gaps in the record. But basically, several of the killers did speak later about their experiences, notably Yakov Yurovsky, who wrote two or three different accounts, all slightly varying one from the other. One or two of the killers quite proudly were interviewed during the Soviet period, as late as the 60s, I think, about their involvement in the murders. But the trouble is the documentary evidence was hidden away for a very long time during the Soviet regime. Romanov, any discussion of the Romanov's was... uh, Verboten. You know, you couldn't talk about them, certainly under Stalin. There was a complete clampdown. So a lot of evidence probably was lost over those 70 years or so and what there is as i've said often the various killers who did leave accounts slightly contradict each other so and also you've got to think about the confusion and chaos of the actual killing itself you've got seven members of the romanov family plus their doctor plus three servants all screaming and hysterical and terrified in this small basement room, plus out-of-control killers shooting wildly. So it's very, very difficult for a a clear and uh, logical account to have emerged.
0: Now, it wasn't long afterwards that rumours began to swirl that Anastasia might have survived. What was the origin of this theory?
2: The origin of the Anastasia claim, and she was by no means, of course, the only member of the family who claims were made for having survived came in 1920 in Berlin when a young woman was found who had been uh, attempted, supposedly, to commit suicide by drowning herself in the canal in Berlin. And this woman was hauled out the water and, uh, as she was recovering in hospital, began talking and claiming that she was, in fact, Grand Duchess Anastasia, who'd miraculously escaped the massacre at the apartheid house in New and from there, the thing snowballed uh, in ways, really, which should never have happened. And it, it, it was the beginning of a long and persisting legend that really wasn't finally closed down until, effectively, the DNA tests done, you know, in the 1990s. But there are still people out there now who support various claimants.
0: Yes, yeah, so we'll definitely come on to the, the DNA a little bit later on, but... So you said earlier that it wasn't just Anastasia who these rumours gathered around. So, So there's nothing particular about Anastasia that meant she was picked out by some of these imposters as the person to impersonate.
2: Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Anastasia was the primary candidate for survival, miraculous survival. And one of the reasons this came about was because the Bolsheviks never openly admitted to killing the children, especially the girls. Many people assumed that, okay, Alexei, as the heir to the throne, was probably murdered along with his parents. But for a long, long time, people simply could not accept that young, innocent girls who were 17, 19, 21, 22, that sort of age, plus a boy of 13, could have been so hideously murdered. And the Bolsheviks never came clean about the fact that they'd killed the children. And so all the time that they refused to admit to doing it, there was this festering hope which grew and grew and grew, that by a miracle somehow one or all of the children might have survived or got away or the whole family was spirited away i mean there are claims and i've seen them of the whole family being sent abroad to diff- in different directions and surviving but the main reason uh, the the claims about anastasia persisted is a story came out that as they were taking the bodies out of the house to the waiting lorry one of them girls suddenly sort of sat up on the stretcher and appeared to still be alive and was then finished off. But ultimately, the real reason that people would not accept that they'd all been killed is because two of the bodies were missing for a long, long time. Because although in secret the grave containing Nicholas Alexandra, uh, Olga Tatiana, And Anastasia and the servants had been found. It had been found in secret in the 70s outside Yekaterinburg. The grave was properly exhumed after the collapse of communism in 1991, but two of the bodies were missing. And there was this big controversy that sprung up because the Russian anthropologists and excavators who'd uncovered the grave said that it was. Maria and Alexei who were missing, but many, many other people, particularly some American experts claimed it was Anastasia and Alexei who were missing. So that continued to assist the Anastasia myth in persisting that she was the one who got away. And so it wasn't until 2007 that those two missing bodies were found. And in fact, they weren't bodies because what had happened when the Bolsheviks uh, disposed of the other members of the family in a huge mass grave, they took aside the two smallest corpses of the, the children and tried to burn them in a separate area. And so eventually what was found, and I was actually in Yekaterinburg that summer when they found the two missing children, but what they found were very, very pitiful charred, fragmented remains, but enough to do DNA tests.
0: And the DNA tests have confirmed, haven't they, that the entire Romanov family's bodies have been found?
2: Yes, absolutely. But there are still people out there who will not accept it. But there was a very, very thorough study made when the two final sets of remains were found. In fact, the DNA tests, of course, had been done in the early 1990s when they matched up Prince Philip's DNA with the samples taken from the other bodies in that original grave that was excavated, containing the Tsaritsa and the other children. And even then they knew that that was definitely them just comparing the DNA samples. But when they found the two other sets of remains, then they could make further comparisons. And a learned paper came out around that time. After 2007 discovery, it was a collaboration between the the Russian forensic scientists in Ekaterinburg and a team from America led by Dr. Mike Coble, who I've conferred with extensively about this whole issue, which absolutely conclusively proved that all the DNA samples matched, that they'd all died, and for me, as a historian, perhaps the most interesting thing that came out. Was that Anastasia was the only one of the four girls who'd carried
1: the fatal hemophilia gene? This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash history extra. Just go to indeed.com slash history extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coming back a little bit earlier in the story to
0: the years after the murders, Various impostors appeared who claimed to
2: be Anastasia. What evidence did they provide that they were her? The most famous claimant by a country mile in terms of Anastasia was, of course, a woman called Anna Anderson, the woman who was dragged out of the canal in Berlin and who somehow or other kept up a very, very clever pretense for many years that she was Anastasia, despite many things about her that didn't ring true. And there were lots and lots of questions and queries about her story. But she managed to con a few people, not particularly anyone in the really important Central Romanov family. I mean, people like Grand Duchess Olga, who was the Tsar's sister, wouldn't have it, and nor would the Dowager Empress and various other people such as Sir Thomas Preston, who'd been British ambassador in Ekaterinburg and also Pierre Gilliard. But this woman, Anna Anderson, as she became known, did gather one or two supporters, mainly in Germany, and dined out on her claims for decades, and then even started this tortuous legal claim in the German courts that she was Anastasia, in order supposedly to get at all the Romanov money that had been salted away in bank accounts in Europe, though in fact there probably wasn't any, it was a bit of a, a red herring. But she had her supporters, and eventually she went to America and married a man called Manahan and became Anna Manahan and lived out her life in America to her dying day eccentric woman with a house full of cats, was visited by everybody and anybody uh, who tried to get to the truth of her claim. And in a way, she she conned some very good people. I mean, for a while, people like Summers and Mangold, who wrote that famous book, The Vile on the Tsar, were conned by her and believed that Anastasia had survived. But there were many, many holes in her claim, and they have since been very, very well explored by a couple of Americans in a very interesting book on the subject. But she died, you know, still claiming she was Anastasia, but her claim was eventually disproved. First of all, because even during her lifetime, It was shown that she actually was a Polish woman called Franziska Szankowska because people traced her relatives. And then DNA comparisons were done with them. But the real clincher in terms of finally disproving her was that she had had some kind of operation on her gut. And by a miracle, the hospital in America had kept a slide, a tissue sample. And this was compared later after her death with the DNA results from Prince Philip and the the real Romanovs from the grave. And it was conclusively shown that she had no link whatsoever with the Romanov family. And yet, despite that, you know, there are still people out there who will not accept that Anastasia died along with all the others. And some even still support Anna Anderson's claim, but there were one or two others after her who also claimed to be Anastasia. There were claimants for Olga, for Tatiana, even for the haemophiliac, Alexei, the least likely one to have been able to survive and get away. But I think it's all tied up with this desire somehow one of the children survived that horrible horrible slaughter because it is very hard to fathom that those children should have been so brutally killed so for people like anna anderson
0: what story did they say about how they'd escaped what was the legend they tried to propagate
2: Basically, she claimed that she'd been left wounded, and somehow or other, one of the soldiers rescued her. How the hell he got her away from all the other bodies lying in the of house, I don't know. It was never very well explained. But apparently, one of the soldiers or got her away to safety in Siberia, and then smuggled her to Romania. But her her story was very thin. And I'm full of holes. I don't know how anyone could have been taken in by it, quite honestly, because you only have to look at the circumstances of what happened that night in the apartheid house to know it was absolutely, totally impossible for anyone to have escaped what went on there. And um, that the place was an absolute fortress. How could you have spirited away one of the Romanov family uh, from that situation? The minute they all started firing it was over because after the you know they'd shot at them, if they didn't quite kill them, they finished them off with bayonets.
0: There have been a couple of film versions of the Anastasia survival story. How far do you think they've been responsible for the continuation of this conspiracy theory, if we can call it that?
2: Well, of course, the one film that really perpetuated the fantasy was that glorious Hollywood film with Ingrid Bergman, Anastasia, with that lovely theme song. It it, it was sort of based around when she went to Paris in 1928, in support of her claim, and met some of some of the members of the Romanov family and tried to convince them and the film sort of tries to make out that she you know she really had got away. but the film I really can 't bear is that dreadful cartoon about Anastasia, which again perpetuates a fantasy. There have been other dramatizations of the story, and in fact. There are many documentaries, uh, drama documentaries, that feature little sequences about the Romanov murders. But I think the Hollywood film was the one that really put the spanner in the works in terms of acceptance. People wanted to believe the fantasy, the romance of this somehow miraculous escape.
0: And as you've alluded to earlier, the recent um, excavations and DNA analysis have fairly conclusively proven that the entire Romanov family is accounted for, but you say that some people still cling on to this idea that one or more of them might have survived. Is this the same mindset that we see in other conspiracy theories?
2: I think people are desperate uh, for the idea of survival being true because they can't actually accept the horror of five totally innocent children, the necessity of murdering those children. The whole Romanov story has been riven with conspiracy theories ever since 1918, that night when they were all murdered. And it, it just, it's become an industry, actually, you know, endless books and TV programs and this, that and the other written about it. I really hoped, actually, when we got to the 100th anniversary in 2018, that, that we would finally see some closure on this, especially ever since the um, two missing sets of remains were found in 2007. But part of the problem, I hate to say it, is that the Russian Orthodox Church will not and still has not come out and actually officially sanction those remains as being the two missing children. And not only that, it hasn't sanctioned those two sets of remains which are sitting in cold storage in a lab in Ekaterinburg still, I think, they haven't sanctioned them being buried with the other remains. In fact, I have a feeling that they removed them all from the Peter and Paul fortress where they had been interred to do yet more tests. So there's this awful lingering kind of limbo in which the remains of the family are probably sitting in cold storage somewhere waiting to be reunited and reburied together. And various political goings-on behind the scenes, in, the, particularly the Russian Orthodox Church, seem to have prevented it. It's, it's highly controversial, and it's very complex, the, the position of the official church on this whole story.
0: And just finally, is there any more that historians can do to try and defeat this conspiracy theory, or is it really just something that can't be done?
2: Well, I've been trying for God knows fifteen years or more to uh, arguing endlessly with people who email me and say, you know, you're mad, you're a fraud, you're not telling the truth. They got they all got away, one got away. I've had serious abuse from some people about the fact that I've even dared to suggest that they all died. There are some rather unpleasant and insidious groups lurking out there. Some of them were on Facebook, whether they're still there, I don't know, who actually claim the most preposterous stories of survival. And I find that really deeply unpleasant. We need closure. We need to let that poor family rest in peace. And 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 accept the truth, which is that the Bolsheviks were cruel, amoral, and vengeful, and that they murdered them all in 1918, and not just the imperial family, of course, but also they murdered Nicholas's brother Michael in June near Perm. And the the night after they murdered the Romanos, of course, they murdered Alexandra's sister Ella and princes and grand dukes by throwing them down a well and leaving them to die. So it's time we essentially put the coffin lid on this story, to, to put it bluntly, because There is nothing to be gained by perpetuating these crazy claims of survival. Um, Okay, Helen, I think that's
0: kind of everything I was going to ask you. Is there anything really important that we didn't talk about that I should have put to you at all?
2: The thing that also convinced me is that Thomas Preston, who was the British consul in Ekaterinburg, who was really on the spot. His own house was only a few doors down from where the Romanovs were being held. He had an ear to the ground. He knew what was going on, and he actually wrote statements in support of the dismissal of Anna Anderson's claim in the courts. He supported the battle to put an end to her claim, as too did Lord Mountbatten who thought, and in fact he said, you know, it would be laughable if it wasn't so damning, this awful, furious claim of survival. So I think that's really all there is to say.
0: That was Helen Rappaport. Her latest book is After the Romanovs, Russian Exiles in Paris Between the Wars, which was published just a few weeks ago by Scribe. And that's all for this episode, but do join us for episode four, when we'll be considering why many people continue to doubt that William Shakespeare was the author of the plays attributed to him. Thanks a lot for listening. This episode was produced by Jack Bateman.